This episode is brought to you by Mercury. There's an art to making the complex feel simple. Everything should be in sync so that even the smallest part serves a bigger purpose. Simplicity can transform your business operations. That's why Mercury powers your financial workflows from the bank account, giving ambitious companies like yours the precision, control, and focus they need to perform at their best. Apply in minutes at mercury.com. Last Halloween at a house in Orinda, California, outside of San Francisco, there was a mass shooting. The house had been rented out on the home-sharing service Airbnb, and the people who'd rented it threw a big party. Right away that evening, things started kind of going wrong. There was an incident with, like, one of the partygoers running into a neighbor's car. It was just loud and crazy, and the neighbors were getting really concerned. That's tech reporter Kirsten Grind. And then, all of a sudden, the neighbors started hearing gunshots. These gunmen just came into this party and started shooting. And at the end of it, five people had died. It was a terrible tragedy. It's very clear from uh, today's news conference that a party that large should have never taken place at that house, according to that... After the shooting, it came out that there had been prior complaints about the property. Police had even warned the owners not to allow guests to have parties there. The incident raised questions about whether Airbnb shares some responsibility for crime committed on properties people rent through its site. And less than a week after the shooting, Airbnb CEO Brian Chesky said publicly that the company had to, quote, take more responsibility for the stuff on our platform. Today on the show, how Airbnb wrestles with crime and whether or not it's working. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. And I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Wednesday, January 15th. When Airbnb CEO Brian Chesky said after the shooting that Airbnb would start taking more responsibility for the stuff on its platform, he listed a few different things that the company was going to do. One of them, sort of the biggest, I would say, is that they said they were going to make sure that all of their millions of listings were verified for quality and accuracy. And they also said they would put up a hotline for neighbors to call if there's an issue. Previously, you know, if you had an issue with Airbnb, you would be, like, transacting on the platform, like, as a host or a guest. So this would allow kind of, like, neighbors, like those in Orinda, to get someone at the company if there was an issue. These new safety measures are a big deal for Airbnb and come at an important time in the company's evolution. Airbnb is expected to go public this year, meaning it's about to face a lot more scrutiny from investors about everything from safety to its profit margins. Airbnb is, at the moment, one of our largest so-called unicorns out here in the Bay Area. It's been privately funded its entire existence, and it's valued at about $31 billion. It's expected in 2020 this year to go public. And it's one of the most hotly anticipated IPOs, at least in the tech space, this year. How big of a platform is it? 
It has about 7 million listings. Every night, there's an average of about 2 million trips on Airbnb. So it's the largest home-sharing platform in the U.S., and it's big also internationally. To put that in perspective, Marriott, which is the world's largest hotel operator, has about 1.3 million guest rooms around the world, according to one estimate. That means Airbnb has about five times as many places. On a platform as big as Airbnb, at least some crime is bound to happen. And over the years, all kinds of incidents have been reported. Everything from minor crime like theft. This morning, San Francisco police releasing this new video of an Airbnb renter allegedly ripping off the owner. Total heist, over $35,000, mostly in jewelry, according to police. There have also been reports of violent crimes, like sexual assaults and shootings. But there's not much information out there about how big a problem crime is for Airbnb, or what kinds of crimes are being reported most often. Airbnb doesn't release any kind of statistics broadly. Again, they're a private company, so... They've released a figure that basically said 0.05% of all trips in the year ending July 31st had some sort of safety-related incident, but without any kind of detail or without an aggregate figure. 0.05% might sound small, but it's a small percentage of a big number. Remember, there's an average of 2 million people booked into Airbnb listings per night. What do you make of those numbers? So the statistics might be small for the total number of stays that Airbnb has around the world. But for example, Uber just came out with its first kind of transparency report on problems on its platform and said that there were almost 6,000 reports of sexual assault involving drivers in the U.S., in 2017 and 2018. And even though those were statistically low, that's still a large number, way larger than anyone would want, right? So the same for Airbnb. Like, statistically, even though that's a small amount, I don't think anyone wants to see any amount. Crime obviously happens also in hotels. So is there something about Airbnb, though, that makes it different Absolutely. Like if you're booking a hotel room at the Marriott, you expect this sort of certain level of protection, I would say. But with an Airbnb, it's it's just kind of unclear still what you're supposed to expect and even get from them. It's like basically questioning what is the role of the middleman here, right? Even as a middleman, Airbnb does get involved with safety. It has a dedicated team called the Trust Team, which sets policy and handles any kind of issues that come up. Their job is to deal with problems once they happen, but then also to predict where problems might take place. And so this is a really important team at any tech company, but especially at a company like Airbnb. Over the years, this team has grown from just a few people to 300 employees. But there can sometimes be friction between this team and other parts of the company, including the parts most focused on growth. 
So one of these issues was in 2017, some of these employees and the trust and safety team really felt that Airbnb would do better on safety issues and help weed out bad actors on the platform if they required all users, guests and hosts, to produce a government ID, for example, in the U.S., like a driver's license. It might help verify identities, but it would also be like a deterrent. Like, if you're getting on Airbnb for some kind of nefarious reason, if Airbnb then asks for an ID, that might just give you pause. And this moment, Airbnb had really faced some high-profile incidents like prostitution on the platform. There were some cases of hosts, you know, watching guests using hidden video cameras. There were stories of theft. So while, of course, they didn't think this was going to rule out all crime, they really thought that this would help at least deter some bad actors. So they brought it up with senior executives, but they were rejected. And we don't know exactly how, but that Brian Chesky, Airbnb CEO, was aware of it. That's according to people familiar with the matter. And one of the reasons was because there had been a study, and the study had shown that some users would stop signing up if they were asked for an ID. So it could hurt their growth prospects. Even users who may not have any criminal record or any reason to hide, they just might not use the platform if they had to go through the additional step of showing their ID. That's right, like an additional hassle. Mm -hmm. These were the sorts of debates where sometimes, you know, the trust and safety team lost out. What does Airbnb say about its decision not to use the IDs? Well, Airbnb has told us that it's because they have a superior verification system They use, according to them, a bunch of other signals to make sure you are who you say you are, like your social media profiles or your phone number or other factors like that. So Airbnb says that those signals are actually better at confirming someone's identity than a government-issued driver's license. Yes. They also said to us that when they looked at this, They told us that, well, some people in developing countries don't have an ID, so that would be discriminatory towards them. Airbnb may not require government-issued photo IDs from everyone, but it does do background checks on all its users. Globally, it checks all hosts and guests against terrorist and sanctions watch lists. And in the U.S., it also checks sex offender registrations and felony conviction lists. But Airbnb's background check is limited, and sometimes even people with red flags slip through the cracks. That's after the break. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com journal. Terms and conditions apply. 
This episode of The Journal is brought to you by KPMG. At KPMG, we make the difference. It's not just something we say, it's what we do. We work closely with clients to uncover insights that illuminate opportunity, develop bold solutions that innovate industries, and create better outcomes driven by data. Brighter insights, bolder solutions, better outcomes. It's how our people make the difference. KPMG, make the difference. Welcome back. Airbnb says it has lots of ways to help users stay safe on the platform. But those systems, Kirsten found, don't catch all criminals. One was a man in Minnesota, Derek Kinchin, and he had rented out a room in a house. And there was a seven-year-old girl there. And the father walked in one night and found him naked and aroused with the seven-year-old girl in bed. Oh, my God. He immediately called the police, of course. What the host didn't know was that Kinchin had an extensive criminal history. He'd been convicted of at least four misdemeanors for things like drug possession and stealing. And while the host didn't know any of this, Airbnb did. An Airbnb spokesman told Kirsten that the company had run a background check on Kinchin before the stay, but it didn't stop the booking. So what Airbnb says about that incident is they weed out people with serious criminal histories. So like a felony burglary would mean you wouldn't get to be on the platform, for example. Basically, his criminal history didn't meet their severity guidelines. Why couldn't Airbnb at least have told the host that the guest that was going to stay at their house had a criminal background. So I asked that question to the head of trust, is her title, Margaret Richardson, and their sort of perspective on that is that would be, in a way, shaming the person, and that, in general, related to background checks and all of this, they have heard from some groups saying that you shouldn't discriminate against people with criminal histories. Kinchin was ultimately arrested, and court records show he pled guilty in the Airbnb case. But his wasn't the only case Kirsten found. Another guest, this time someone with a serious criminal history, got through the system that Airbnb says should have flagged and stopped him. So this was another um, pretty terrible incident where this one was in North Carolina. A man, Philip Bailey, he was actually a convicted sex offender. So that should have ruled him out from being able to rent a room. But he was able to rent a room in a house. And the host called the local police in 2018 after they found weapons and drugs in his room. And then they found out that this man, Philip Bailey, also hadn't appeared in court on four misdemeanor charges. So Airbnb told us when we came to them about this incident that there was a vulnerability in our process. In other words, it just slipped through the cracks somehow. That's what it sounds like. Airbnb says it has since fixed the vulnerability that allowed Bailey to make the booking. But aside from the technical fixes and the background checks and safety teams, there's another important watchdog on Airbnb, one that's central to the way the whole platform works in the first place, the reviews. The reviews that hosts leave about guests and that guests leave about properties. 
If you used Airbnb, you know that as soon as you're looking at a property, you see that the host's house that you're looking at has a five-star review, up to five stars at the top. And then you see kind of reams of recent stays with reviews underneath. So Airbnb basically wants users to do the research by looking at these reviews. But unfortunately, there's problems with the review system as well, we found. What are those problems? So as you can imagine, hosts and guests, much like Uber or any other service, rely heavily on good reviews. So reviews are sometimes contested. The people get angry. They're calling Airbnb to complain. Airbnb sometimes will just say, I just don't want to mediate this issue and take down both reviews. That's according to people familiar with the matter. The problem with that is sometimes negative reviews aren't surfacing. Now, there's a few other things that are also a problem. One is they have a long-time policy of holding both reviews for two weeks after you make them. Airbnb says there's a good reason for this two-week window. Imagine a guest had a bad experience and wants to leave a negative review. The delay prevents the host from seeing that bad review and retaliating with their own negative review. But the problem is that there again, you may not see some reviews right away as happened with one guest that we spoke to who booked a property in Tulum, Mexico. He was robbed several times by what he thought was the property owner And he said the reviews had been great, like some, like, you know, the sheets are dirty kind of reviews, but mostly great. And then when he got back from his trip after being robbed, he then saw two reviews also saying they had been robbed. And he was like, what? Why didn't I see that before? Well, they had been held up in that two-week period. So one posted while he was already on the trip and one posted after he got back. So had he seen those reviews before he left, he might have chosen a different property. That's right. That's exactly right. So you were saying before that Airbnb is headed toward a possible IPO this year. How do you think that these questions about crime could affect that? Well, this is going to be really a banner year for Airbnb because they're anticipating going public. And this is when investors and regulators and just the general public are maybe for the first time really going to get a sense of how much crime is on the platform and what their internal compromise has been on growth versus crime, which we all should understand more about. I mean, this is one of the most used services coming out of Silicon Valley, and that's a very big issue to understand. And how do you think users should feel about safety on a platform like Airbnb? I really think you have to think about it in terms of what you're willing to put up with. One of my big lessons through this reporting and through reporting on other tech platforms has been that I, as a user, really have to take responsibility for what I'm doing, right? So if I'm booking an Airbnb, I'm going to really read through those reviews, maybe do some of my own, like, searching on the hosts or the guests that might be staying at my place that you can't necessarily rely 
on the middleman to give you all that information. That's all for today, Wednesday, January 15th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. If you like the show, follow us on Spotify or wherever you listen. We're out every weekday afternoon. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.